to massage and conceal our, our true identity. And it is actually those who manage to navigate those conflicting cross-currents who rise to the status of celebrity. Actually, there's nothing new in that. The ancient world had its own uh, version of that kind of ambigu ambiguity, and it was captured in the word that is translated in our Bibles as hypocrite. Now, outside of the Bible, we need to uh, uh, understand it didn't have universally negative overtones. It meant simply a play actor. And there were ancient philosophers who insisted that successful people have to be actors. Some ancient uh, uh, philosophers, for instance, pointed out uh, or suggested a king has to be prepared to feign rage and anger in order to perform his role, but he must at the same time be totally calm and controlled inside. A skilled negotiator needs to feign friendship and compassion towards those that he is speaking, whilst at the same time actually being ruthlessly calculating. The, um, uh, uh, as with today, though, there were people who objected strongly to that. He longed for authenticity. And so that word, the play actor, became a battlefield. Should the successful person perform in a certain way? Or is that actually hypocrisy? The Bible comes down very firmly on the, the latter side. Play acting is hypocrisy. It may actually be successful in the short term. The best play actors do rise to prominence do get a following, do often gain money and power and so much more. But it is rotten at its heart, says the Bible. Jesus, more than any other biblical character, excoriated the hypocrites. Because sadly, actually, in religion, hypocrisy seems particularly prevalent. The rabbis of Jesus' day used to say, apparently, that nine out of ten, all acts of hypocrisy in the whole world happened in Jerusalem. And I wonder what proportion it is in churches. Now, the Bible is really, really clear. That play acting endangers our souls. Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 to 7, has all been about authenticity, about simple honesty. If you were here when we did the latter half of chapter 5, you, you'll see that Jesus speaks of, of social authenticity again and again, of respect for others, of of of, uh, of of honor and chastity and sex and marriage, of of um, authenticity in speech and demeanor and in caring for the poor, all the time wanting us to be people who, in our social engagements, 
are simple, open, honest, fair. But at the beginning of Matthew 5, at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus began with talking about those inner qualities of authenticity. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed, blessed, blessed. Those beatitudes where he talked about humility and meekness and purity of heart and mercy. And, and Jesus is returning to those inner qualities of authenticity here in Matthew chapter 6. And it will continue to the end of the, the Sermon on the Mount. He, he is dealing with specific situations where we need to be not play actors, but simple, honest, open people. We've called this whole section of the, of the Sermon on the Mount the renovation of the heart because Jesus is talking about developing practices and habits which don't necessarily make us better actors in the world, but which actually transform our hearts. And it begins, says Jesus, with prayer. We've got three Sundays just on these early verses of Matthew chapter 6 to look at what Jesus is saying about the renovation of our hearts through prayer. But first, we need to look at Jesus' portrait of the play actor in prayer, the hypocrite in prayer. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. They love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. They love to pray publicly, indoors and outdoors, in synagogues and on street corners, at worship in the synagogue or in the course of daily life on the uh, on the streets, amongst God's people as they gather to worship or in the, in the mixed crowds out on the streets. It doesn't matter where, they love to display their prowess in prayer. It was uh, mainly the, 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 the practices of the Pharisees that Jesus is identifying here. And um, we must remember and keep reminding ourselves the Pharisees were the rock stars, the spiritual rock stars of Jesus' world. They were, they, they were not dark, horrible people, at least um, in, uh, visibly, as far as people perceived them. People admired them. People gave them money. People feared them. People flocked to them. People were in awe of them. They were the evangelicals of the, uh, uh, of the ancient world. The hardliners, the, the real serious ones. But, says Jesus, they pray to be seen by others. That's his diagnosis. It's not that public prayer is, is forbidden. Jesus prayed publicly. Jesus prayed, it seems, specifically to allow people to hear his prayer life. 
to model it to them so that they could learn. And he expects that uh, uh, in gathered public worship, there will be public prayer that not only brings things before the Lord, but serves as something of a model to help and encourage and shape people's prayer. It's not that public prayer is forbidden. It is a useful part of the Christian life. But Jesus says it is dangerous. It is dangerous because it so easily becomes something just to be seen by others. It was said uh, uh, once of a uh, famous 19th century um, Christian minister in uh, uh, Boston, Massachusetts, that uh, on one particular Sunday, he offered the most eloquent prayer ever addressed to a Boston audience. Now, that, that kind of prayer hides our inner emptiness. It may look very convincing, but it is simply a shell hiding rottenness and darkness and emptiness. Jesus says there is a reward, though, that people who practice such prayers get. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full, he says. Fake Christians get a following. Why? Well, no doubt for so many reasons. But one of the reasons, I, I think, is because, because honest, genuine Christians have a deep hunger for a victorious Christian life, for a healthy Christian life. And they are looking for someone to be a model for them. But sadly... Certainly in public, on the surface, in a casual meeting. It is difficult to distinguish the fake from the real. And indeed the fake may look more convincing, more victorious, more like they've really got this Christian thing tape. And so ordinary people will flock to that kind of leader. It's very, very easy then for uh, leaders, Christian leaders, to learn actually not to pray deeply from the heart, but to pray in ways that are maximally affecting for their audience. For different cultures and different subcultures, it will be quite it'll be slightly different. It may be the perfectly polished prayer that acknowledges that we are all sinners but draws us in a, in a beautiful and smooth way to the forgiveness of God and everyone feels good. 
but it's all polish. These days, it probably involves just a, just a carefully metered bit of openness, vulnerability that displays our brokenness, that talks about our vulnerability, that enables people to engage. But it's just a show. No, as I say, it can be hard to distinguish the real from the fake at first sight, but we must do it. Actually, good gospel movements that gather people for genuine spiritual reasons always gather around those people a, a penumbra, another group of people who are just following the, 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 the sort of celebrity that, is, that, that, that grows up around that movement. It is impossible if a church is, is doing good things and gathering people to hear the gospel, not to acquire those who are actually vulnerable and really more looking for a fake than anything else. And so good movements of God become subverted and damaged as, in fact, the fake infiltrates itself and becomes more and more central. I have seen it happen. I have seen leaders subverted until there is nothing left but hypocrisy. And I suspect a good number of you have too. How do we spot the play actor then? Well, one sign is surely that they love to pray on street corners. They are attracted to the limelight. As we get to know them, we slowly notice that is their greatest joy. And somehow out of the limelight, their spiritual life seems much less impressive. They will hide their personal life or carefully curate what they reveal. they're challenged then the defensiveness will come up because the veneer must be maintained and you will always leave thinking how great that person at the front was not how great their God was How do you spot it in yourself? This is important. I've noticed, for instance, a pattern, particularly of those uh, younger people who've grown up in Christian homes. Through teenage years, habits can develop of faking it. They know how to perform. They look good. And can pass it off for a while with their friends. And even with church leaders. 
that underneath there is nothing. We have to be honest with ourselves. Am I someone who only really prays on street corners and synagogues? Am I someone who is still a prayer? Well, having portrayed the play actor at prayer, Jesus contrasts it with the child of God at prayer. When you pray, verse 6, go into your room, close the door, pray to your father who is unseen, and then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now note, a child of God prays. First thing, when you pray, Jesus just assumes it. In fact, he's, he's almost certainly uh, alerting to the tradition of uh, traditional practice of his day of praying three times a day, morning, uh, afternoon, about three o'clock, and in, uh, in the evening. It's... Um, become my practice personally to, to pray more often as I've become aware that uh, just a simple um, prayer at the, uh, the beginning of the day doesn't really help me through the day. There may be practices like that that you want to, uh, want to think about or there may be something else that uh, is prompting you as you reflect on Jesus saying when you pray pray. When our children were small, uh, Judy had very, very little time uh, to pray during the week. So she would set aside a long time every now and again, about once a week, to pray at length, and to reflect on scripture. There's no simple uh, prescribed way, but Jesus says to everyone who is a believer, of course, you will pray. How are you doing that? A child of God prays. A child of God prays alone. Go into your room. He says that's that's the the big contrast. Not out on the on the street. Not in the synagogues. Maybe there's a time for those things, but that's not the that's not the essence of your prayer life. That's not the center of your prayer life. The center of your prayer life is going into your room, going into an environment which is yours, which is settled, which is which does not disturb you. John Piper, the um, uh, Christian uh, leader in America, describes built, building his own prayer booth with his, with his own hands. He, bu he built it, and this was his place that he would go into to pray. I have a, I have a favorite chair. It needs to be somewhere that doesn't distract you, that is familiar, and that you can focus on prayer on your own. Close the door, says Jesus. In other words, don't leave yourself open to anyone uh, just casually interfering with that time. That time needs to be yours alone with God. It must not be disturbed. It must be free so that you can be honest with the Lord. If you want a private conversation with anyone, you shut the door, don't you? If you want a private conversation with God, as you should, 
close the door, says Jesus. A child of God prays to their father. That is so important. That is one of the characteristic descriptions of God from Jesus' lips. He is our father. He is our father because he brought us into, be into being. He created our inmost being. He knows as well as our father that we are dust. He knows us inside out. He knows our struggles, our failures, our most unpalatable thoughts. The Anglican collect, which um, stems back in a Latin form for more than a thousand years, says um, that we come to God unto whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hid. That is, that is the Father we have, who created us, who knows us, but, but more particularly, who loves us. I, I don't think I... I don't think I really got the, how God, as my father, loves me until we had our first child, Emily. I can remember so vividly the first time I, I took communion after, after Emily was born. And, and first of all, I was struck by what an extraordinary sacrifice it was that God should send his only son to die on the cross for my sins. What, a, what an amazing thing that was. Because now I've got a little precious bundle that I care for passionately, that I'd give my life for. But then I thought to myself, he loves me that much. As his child... That he and his one and only son, Jesus, are prepared to endure that in love for me. I don't, I don't think I had, I don't think I had the, the emotional equipment until then, really, to understand that. And it, and it overwhelmed me. You have a heavenly Father who loves you. If you have put your faith in Jesus, you have a heavenly Father who loves you with such a passionate love that he did not spare his only son by right. That you could be adopted as his child. It is not a fickle love. It does not wax and wane, ebb and flow. It is a constant great river of love. It is not a superficial love. It comes from the very depths of his being. God is love. And from the depths of that, the heart of his his personality, he pours out his love to you. And it goes to the very depths of your being. His spirit testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. So that we cry out, Abba, 
Father. It is not a weak love. It is stronger than death itself. We have all seen the, 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 the deeply moving deathbed scenes in, in films or heard people talking about the death of a loved one and how a loving family are gathered around and they are about to have the loved one wrenched from them and that, love, that, that bond of love will be tragically broken and with God that will not happen. His father love transcends even death, carries on into all eternity. It is unbreakable. It is a forgiving love. And that is why Jesus came, to pay the penalty for our sins and win our forgiveness and now he the God of all compassion forgives all our sins we are told past present and future it is a protecting love because every father will protect his offspring with his whole strength and with utterly unrelenting fierceness. There is nothing and no one that he will allow to harm his precious child. Your heavenly father protects you and will not stop. It is a disciplining love. That is like every good father. He wants to bring his children up to reach the true maturity that, uh, that, that, that they can achieve. And there is sometimes some challenge in that and difficulty in that. But what we experienced says, says, that, says the Bible uh, imperfectly from our own parents. We experience perfectly from the God, the Father who loves us, who will shape you and mold you through yours and my failures and sins and the, and the, 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 the accidents and of, of, of life and the things that assail us. He will shape them and mold them into a process that brings us to maturity. Because he's a father who loves us. And as a father, he will lead us. Lead us into green pastures. Lead us in the way that we should go. So go to him for guidance. As a father, he will never forsake us. His mercies are new every morning. There is nothing in all creation that can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus.
Go to your father, says Jesus. So, so, so what is hindering you? I mean, when you wake up in the morning and you get out of bed and you stumble downstairs or, or whatever you do, here is the Father who is waiting to greet you. What is hindering you from going to him? What is hindering you from prayer? child of God, says Jesus, enjoys a different kind of reward, which is infinitely precious. I don't know whether you noticed the word reward came up twice in the, the, those verses. The first time's in verse 5, talking about the play actor. They have received, he says, their reward in full. Interesting, he uses a very specific word. It means, um, it's a word Specifically, that means payment for services rendered. There is a contract between the play actor and the audience. The crowd feels awe and admiration and hope and is, and is lifted up as the play unfolds before them. And the hypocrite gets their payment at the, at the end of the day. It was the cynical Jaques in Shakespeare's As You Like It who said, all the world's a stage and the players will have their payment. Jesus says, the only thing those play actors need to do who performed their public prayer in front of, the, uh, in front of their admiring audience, the one thing they need to understand is that's all they get. They get their recompense, they get their money, they get their following, they get their reputation. That's what they want. They get it. Simple deal. That's all they get. The child of God, though, has a different kind of reward. And Jesus uses a different word when he says... Um, your father who, um, your father who is unseen, sees what is done in secret, and will reward you. It is not payment for services rendered. It is a word much more specifically now. That is relational. He will respond in an appropriate relational way. As you come to him, he will come to you. As you pour out your heart to him, he will return with compassion and care and love. As you confess your sins, he will reassure you that you are forgiven. As you cry out to him in pain, he will come to comfort you. As you express your fear before him, he will reassure you that he will care for you. As you seek uh, uh, guidance from him, he will come in and he will show you the path that you should follow. There is a recompense. There is a reward. But it is not payment for services rendered. It is the reward of a relationship. Constantly restored. Constantly renewed. Constantly reciprocated. 
as God the Father comes to you. He sees what is done in secret. He cares very little for any public transactions. What he's looking for is what is done in secret. And he reciprocates. Perhaps you haven't felt that. Perhaps your prayer life has become dry. Perhaps you feel like you're talking to the wall or, 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 uh, or the ceiling. And there's nothing more. Well, let, let me say to you, the Bible is full from beginning to end of assurances that that is not true. Of acknowledgments that sometimes people go through periods like that of disappointment and dryness and, and of, uh, of struggling. But that does not mean the God of all compassion, your heavenly Father, is not there. He is there. And in the end, you will not be disappointed. There's a story from Joseph I was telling someone um, just this week. Do you remember Joseph in the Old Testament? He has two visions of, of uh, the future. Um, that looks terribly bright and wonderful. And then... And then he gets disappointment after disappointment after disappointment. Finally, he is brought into Pharaoh's presence because Pharaoh has had two dreams. And Joseph stands boldly before Pharaoh after years and years of disappointment where he must have asked a question whether God really cared for him. He stands in Pharaoh's presence and he says, Pharaoh, the reason you've had two dreams... He doesn't say this, but like, the, like I've had two dreams. The reason you've had two dreams, I've learned this. It means God will certainly do it, and he will do it quickly. There is a man who was shaped through the hard stuff, the hard years, and learned to pray that he uh, to know and to be confident that he have the God who does not go back on his promises. And although quickness may not be measured in the way that we would like it to be, he is not slow. I want to say to you, What hinders you from praying? What is stopping you from going to this loving Heavenly Father again and again and again? I want to say to you that this is the heart of our transformation. We are changed and transformed from the inside out. And again and again, it begins in prayer. When you pray, says Jesus, your Father 
who sees what is done in secret will reward you. We acknowledge before you, our Heavenly Father, that the transactions this morning that are really important are not the ones that were voiced publicly here. But our inner voice, our inner ear, in which we were for a moment open before you. And Lord, we bow before you now to just say what we know we need to say in a moment of silence. You are our Father. You see what is done in secret. We look to you, Lord, for your relational response. Amen. Okay, sing a song <clears throat> about coming to the Father.